we now have an opportunity once again to, to hear the reading of God's Word. And uh, a reminder to you this morning that um, as we conclude the reading of the Word this morning, I will say this so far the reading of God's Word, and together we'll say thanks be to God. So again, if you're able, please rise as we read Lamentations chapter 4 from God's Word. Hear what he has for us this morning. How the gold has grown dim, how the pure gold is changed. The holy stones lie scattered at the head of every street. The precious sons of Zion worth their weight in fine gold. How they are regarded as earthen pots, the work of a potter's hands. Even jackals offer the breast, they nurse their young. But the daughter of my people has become cruel, like ostriches in the wilderness. The tongue of the nursing infant sticks to the roof of its mouth for thirst. The children beg for food, but no one gives to them. Those who once feasted on delicacies perish in the streets. Those who were brought up in purple embrace ash heaps. For the chastisement of the daughter of my people has been greater than the punishment of Sodom, which was overthrown in a moment, and no hands were wrung for her. Her princes were purer than snow, whiter than milk. Their bodies were more ruddy than coral. The beauty of their form was like sapphire. Now their face is blacker than soot. They are not recognized in the streets. Their skin has shriveled on their bones and has become as dry as wood. Happier were the victims of the sword than the victims of hunger, who wasted away, pierced by lack of the fruits of the field. The hands of compassionate women have boiled their own children. They became their food during the destruction of the daughter of my people. The Lord gave full vent to his wrath. He poured out his hot anger, and he kindled a fire in Zion that consumed its foundations. The kings of the earth did not believe, nor any of the inhabitants of the world, that foe or enemy could enter the gates of Jerusalem. This was for the sins of her prophets and the iniquities of her priests, who shed in the midst of the blood of the righteousness. They wandered, blind, through the streets. They were so defiled with blood that no one was able to touch their garments. Away, unclean, people cried at them. Away, away, do not touch. So they became fugitives and wanderers. People said among the nations, they shall stay with us no longer. The Lord himself has scattered them. He will regard them no more. No honor was shown to the priests, no favor to the elders. Our eyes failed, ever watching vainly for help. In our watching, we watched for a nation which could not save. The dog, they dogged our steps so that they could not walk in our streets. Our end drew near. Our days were numbered, for our end had come. Our pursuers were swifter than the eagles in the heavens. They chased us on the mountains. They lay in wait for us in the wilderness. The breath of their nostrils, the Lord's anointed, was captured in their pits, of whom we said, under his shadow, we shall live among the nations. Rejoice and be glad, O daughter of Edom, you who dwell in the land of us. But to you also the cup shall pass. You should become drunk and strip yourself bare. The punishment of your iniquity, O daughter of Zion, is accomplished. He will keep you in exile no longer. But your iniquity, O daughter of Edom, he will punish. He will uncover your sins. So far the reading of God's word. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. The grass will wither and the flower will fade, but the word of the Lord stands firm and true forever. Holy Spirit, on this day of Pentecost, just as you enveloped the people on that day, indwell us here and now. Take these words to the hearts and the lives of those gathered here this morning. Mold and shape by your power, not by my eloquence or lack thereof, but by your strength and your goodness. We pray this in Jesus' strong name. Amen. You may be seated.
As evening shaped, I found me on a moor, which sight could scarce sustain. The black, lean land of featureless contour was like a tract in pain. This scene, like my own life, I said, is one where many glooms abide, toned by its fortune to a deadly dun, lightless on every side. I glanced aloft and halted, pleasure caught, to see the contrast there. The ray-lit clouds gleamed glory, and I thought, there's solace everywhere. Then bitter self-reproaches as I stood, I dealt me silently, as one perverse misrepresenting good in graceless mutiny. Against the horizon's dim discerned wheel, a form rose, strange of mold, that he was hideous, hopeless, I could feel rather than could behold. Tis a dead spot, where even the light lies spent. To darkness croaked the thing. Not if you look aloft, said I, intent on my new reasoning. Yea, but wait a while, he cried. Ho, ho, look now aloft and see. I looked. There too sat night. Heaven's radiant show had gone. Then chuckled he. One commentator writes this. In Thomas Harding's A Meeting with Despair, the writer puts forth the idea of how we, upon facing terrible circumstances, since upon facing terrible circumstances, the light seems to fade from our day. The worry increasing the more we worry. We look upon our faults and our misfortunes with a subconscious magnifying glass that make the day turn to night as a time spent thinking on its progress. A wonderful poem. I encourage you to go and read it again after the worship service. A poem about what our hopes are, what our expectations are, and yet the reality oftentimes turns to a dim lit night. And despair and bitterness settles in for reality. I wonder if this is not the place the author of Lamentations finds himself, not looking upon a moor, but looking upon a city, looking upon a people, looking upon his own life, and he sees not the mold of some strange figure approaching his way, but the mold of a city now in ruin. Just as Thomas Hardy looked upon his life, and he sees the glimmers of hope dashed by the reality of despair and of hurt, And too often it seems, doesn't it, that despair and bitterness stand as we try to gaze upon the moor. As we try to stand and gaze upon the moor of our social networking and into our souls. And he chuckles at us. The author of Lamentations, Thomas Hardy, you and I know all too well the chuckle of despair. And bitterness, don't we? The thing that strikes me about poetry, one of the things I should say that strikes me about poetry is it has a unique ability. A unique ability to sing truth into an unsingable circumstance. When we can't sing, poetry gives us a voice. When we don't have the words, poetry often does. So much of God's Word And Lamentations is a poem. is a poem that gives us a voice in the despair, in the hurt, in the pain. A poem that gives the people, gives you and me this kind of voice. 
in the middle of the junk and the brokenness of our own lives, we now have a voice because the Lord has given us a poem. Here in chapter 4, the author returns to the scene of this crumbling city and the flood of reality hits him like the fires that surround him. The reality of the hopes of the city had, had vanished. The once proud city, the once city that was once clothed in purple is now clothed in ash. Why? How did we get here? How did they get here? They have put their hopes in their own abilities. They had hoped in prophets and priests and kings. They had hoped in all the false hopes that they could and and now the judgment of the Lord has come upon them. And their misplaced hope was just that. Misplaced. And as I've been walking through Lamentations, the thing that keeps coming to my thoughts, which I, I guess I shouldn't be overly surprised by, but as I have read through these, uh, these verses and these chapters and these psalms that we've walked through, it's really easy to get bogged down in, into the muck and the mire of Lamentations. It's easy to find ourselves, it's the same refrain over and over again of depression, of despair. But Lamentations isn't just pointing out those things. You see, the thing that sticks out to me about Lamentations, as I have now these many weeks gone through them, is that Lamentations really is a book about hope. Believe it or not, it's, it's, a, it's a book about hope because the Lord is patient with us, with His people, with the people who had false hopes, misplaced hopes. And it is in this patience and the steadfast love and the mercy of the Lord that never ceases, as we've talked about a few weeks ago, that we are in the middle of the rubble. And when we hear the chuckle of despair, just as Thomas Hardy did, we can hope. And we can hope because the Lord is patient with us. Because He sows His patience to His people here in Lamentations. It's that hope that, that gives us hope In all things, not just in the small things, not in just the terrible things, but in all things. And so this morning, I want to look at a couple of those things in Lamentations chapter 4. I want to look at a couple of those things that we often fall into deep despair and bitterness when we face them. But I do, I, I do want us to see something this morning. I want us to see that the Lord redeems us from these trappings. He redeems us and gives us hope and ultimately drowns out the chuckle. Drowns out that mold that rises from the moor and frightens us and causes despair and fright. The Lord's patience and His steadfast love and mercy give us hope. The first six verses of Lamentations 4 paint a dreary and awful scene for us again, don't they? Hard to read, hard to hear about the horror of war. And he describes the desperation of the people like jackals who scavenge for their food. When I was a kid, I used to love, I still like to watch nature shows, right? And I always remembered, I I was intrigued by jackals and lions. 
The lions would do all the work. And by the way, it's the, the lady lions that really do all the work. Just, just saying. But they have killed their prey, haven't they? They have done what they're supposed to do. And in the middle of the night, the jackals come and steal and scavenge and frighten away the lions. This is the scene that the author is painting for, painting for us this morning. They're like jackals who scavenge over the dead. And then he uses another illustration. He says, it's also like ostriches in the wilderness. Okay, I haven't seen too many ostriches in the wilderness. I don't know about you. What in the world? What is he talking about here? The ostriches in the wilderness. How, how is that describing despair and hurt and pain? And what does this look like? So I asked that question of Google. And Google told me the answer, I think. What Google told me was this, that ostriches in the wilderness who, who are kind of on their own and they end up laying a brood of eggs, the female ostrich, often when she doesn't have a home and is, is just out separated from the community, she will leave her eggs. She won't tend to them. And she will just try to fend for herself. She forgets about her children. She forgets about the future. She forgets about the day. And she only worries about her survival. And so the author then says, it's just, this is happening. The mothers in this city are forgetting their children because there is no food and they're just trying to survive. This is the scene that's been painted for us. Because of war, because of heartache and pain and idolatry and lust, they're left to die. And the children no one cares for. Once again, once again the scene is horrendous and devastating on each and every level. And then we come to verses 6 and 7. And it's here where I want us to see one of the areas in our lives where we so quickly tend to fall into despair and bitterness. The first thing that I want us to see in these few verses here this morning is that it's fatigue. Tiredness. Fatigue. A word that can describe so many of us this morning, can't it? Fatigue. Verses 6 and 7. For the chastisement of the daughter of my people has been greater than the punishment of Sodom, which was overthrown in a moment and no hands were wrung for her. Her princes were purer than snow, whiter than milk. Their bodies were more ruddy than coral. The beauty of their form was like sapphire. And you say, Ryan, how in the wide world are you getting fatigue out of those verses? Well, bear with me just for a second here. And I think there's a really interesting, and dare I even say a really cool illustration that's hidden, in, not hidden, but lies in these verses. But how many of us this morning even are fatigued? We got up early because our kids got up early and they're running around like crazy and we're just trying to get to church or this week was a hard week. COVID has left its mark. Our jobs have left its mark. Relationships have left its mark. We get caught up in the craziness of life, the, the hectic schedules that we try to keep. And we just keep coming and going. Coming and going. And that's not to mention the toils of life that factor into the wearying of fatigue. And so I wonder this morning, if you can, take a moment with me. And think when you are tired, when you are weary, and when you are fatigued, where do you turn? What do you do? Can you think of those things? In the time of fatigue, how do we attempt to restore our energy, our ability to function or manage? 
Here are some suggestions by one of the world's best hospitals, Johns Hopkins University. The doctors at Johns Hopkins tell us this. Here's how you combat fatigue. Get some exercise. Spread activities throughout the day. Take frequent rest breaks. Yeah, right. Save energy for the things you want to do. Let other people help. Set up regular bedtime and waking routines. Eat foods high in protein. Reduce your level of stress through hobbies, reading, seeing friends, warm baths, medical uh, advice for you. Take a bath. Music, relaxation, support groups, so on and so forth. Report to your doctor what you are feeling. These, in many cases, are good ideas. Some of us may want to heed a few of those, one or two or all of them, to be able to allow us to recover our strength and our energy. However, there's a remarkable understanding as we read this list that Johns Hopkins gives us that I think we need to understand. And what we need to understand about Lamentations chapter 4, if we notice what this list says to us, it says you need to do this. You need to take more rest. You need to do more exercise. You need to do this. The list goes on and on and on and on. And we check off and we check off and we check off. And now the list becomes wearying and fatigue even of itself. Right? We've all made New Year's resolutions and they are wearying and fatiguing. The more we focus on ourselves, the more weary and fatigued we become the more we look into our own understanding and we attempt to to solve our problems and our weariness and our fatigue, the more we become fatigued and the more dark and depressed we find ourselves to be. One study by Tasha Yurik, an organizational psychologist and New York Times best-selling author, says these words about how it is or what happens when, when we keep looking into ourselves introspection can cloud and confuse our self-perceptions, unleashing a host of unintended consequences. Don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying we shouldn't look into our own lives and consider what it is and how it is that we're doing things. But what the research told her was that the people who scored high in self-awareness were often the most depressed, the most stressed, and the most anxious. All of that to say, let's now look at verses 7 and 8 of Lamentations once again. Her princes were purer than snow, whiter than milk. Their bodies were more ruddy than coral. The beauty of their form was like sapphire. Now their face is blacker than soot. They are not recognized in the streets. Their skin has shriveled on their bones. It has become dry as wood. The people of the Lord have become self-consumed. They had forgotten about their calling. The Lord had called them, to, called them to as they exited the land of Egypt. Do you remember? Remember what He gave to Moses? He gave them Ten Commandments. And then Jesus, later in the New Testament, summarizes the Ten Commandments. Remember this conversation? What's the law, Jesus? The first law is that you should love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it. We know this, right? That you should love your neighbor as yourself. The people of Israel had forgotten these two great commandments. In particular, they'd forgotten the second portion. For at one time, they were purer than than snow, whiter than milk. 
when they were living according to the prescription of the Lord, they, they wore purple gowns. And they had temples. And they had a city. And they had protection. And, and they had all of these things. And now they had sought after other gods. And they had forgot about other people. And verse 8 tells us that their faces are now black like soot. To the point where you can't even recognize them. And the, and the, and the, the conscious reader and the, the, the observant one will say, well, Ryan, that's due to hunger and malnutrition. Yes, you're correct. But why are they hungry? Why are they malnourished? Because they've forgotten their Lord and they've forgotten other people. In other words, there's not a truer picture of self-absorption than the people of Israel. So now if you have your Bibles or your phones, whatever it may be, I want you to turn to Psalm 34, if you will. Flip over to Psalm 34. The first verse in Psalm 44, and then we'll skip down a couple verses later. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Is this the song of the people of Israel? Is this our song this morning? Or have we become self-absorbed, self-introspective to the point where rarely is the blessing of the Lord in our mouth? This is verse 2. Does your soul make its boast in the Lord? Or does it boast in your accomplishments? In your hopes? In your dreams? Go down to verse 5 of Psalm 34. I really would encourage you to, to have your Bibles open or your phones open. Psalm 34, verse 5. And so now remember, we have this picture in Lamentations 4 of people's faces. They're blacker than soot. They're dry as wood. They're unrecognizable. Now read Psalm 34, verse 5. Those who look to Him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. When we turn our faces away from the Lord, we are unrecognizable. When we, when we look into ourselves, we find a deep, dark, broken place. And we become fatigued and weary and tired, depressed, and despair chuckles. But in Psalm 34, verse 5, if you look outside of yourself, meaning, desire, hope, satisfaction does not come from inside of us. But in theological terms, it's alien, it's foreign, it's outside of ourselves. It's something else that gives us meaning. Something else that gives us value. Something else that gives us validation. Something else that says you are important and this is the grace and the mercy and the steadfast love of the Lord that never ceases. This is what speaks into our lives and gives us energy and motivation to now move forward in whatever it is that life holds before us. Are you fatigued? Are you weary this morning? Psalm 34 verse 5 says something to us. Those who look to Him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. Friends, if you are tired and you are weary, look to the face of the Lord this morning. See His glory. Experience His steadfast love and mercy. In our fatigue, there is a time for self-reflection, yes, but the source of our energy, the source of who we are is not found deep inside of ourselves 
all we find there are broken spirits, broken bodies, brokenness. It's found as we cast our gaze into the throne room of heaven as the Lord God Almighty, the Creator of heaven and earth, looks down upon us. You see, this now gives us hope. This gives us hope in our fatigue, in our weariness, doesn't it? It's, it's the fact that the Lord calls us to Himself. And arguably my favorite psalm, and I use this psalm often in lots of different contexts, but Psalm 21 speaks so well into so many different things. And one of the things that Psalm 121 says to us, and feel free to turn there a couple pages to the right if you're still in Psalm 34, it tells us this, we may be weary, we may be fatigued, but we have hope because the Lord never slumbers or sleeps. And so He looks on us, even in the middle of the junk, even in the middle of our despair and the brokenness of the fires, of of the hectic schedules, the Lord still is awake and caring for us. The Lord never slumbers. He never is fatigued. The second area that I want us to see here this morning in Lamentations chapter 4 is the fact that we can have hope even in the midst of our failure. Many of us recognize, however, that we do need other people. Right? If I look into myself, and sometimes, maybe too often, I realize, why does the Lord use a bum like me? I recognize that I need other people in my life to be able to do just about anything. And I'm thankful for those in my life who partner with me. But there's a danger even in that too, isn't there? But we, we understand that we need help. We need other people's help to help us to survive. And we need others to assist us on this journey of life. And that's so very true. Especially given what we just learned about in the first few verses of Lamentations, correct? The psalmist tells us that the place that we must look to is the face of the Lord. But for some reason, the people of Israel, and yes, even ourselves, tend to look not only at ourselves, but we tend to look to other people and to every other place than what we should. The psalmist says, look to the heavens, look to the throne room of God, but yet we look, just as the people of Israel do, to priests. My pastor's got the answer. Or he's a rock star. He's got a huge church. He must know all the answers. So I'm going to follow him. We look to kings. Oh, how we look to kings. We look to kings to set laws for us that will make our lives better and to flourish, don't we? We look to kings to uphold the duties to which the Lord ought to do. But yet the kings of Israel failed miserably. The prophets of Israel gave them false hope. If you remember early on in Lamentations, the prophets, and in Jeremiah, the prophets were telling them, everything's all right. There's no problem here. Just put your head in the sand and then don't worry about it. Everything's fine. You're the people of God. You can't, you can't be touched. And they believed that. And the kings sought after other gods. They failed to point the eyes of the people away from themselves. And they failed to point the eyes of the people to the Lord And so the failure of the leaders, as it says to us in Lamentations 4, led to death rather than flourishing. 
The failures of the leaders were what caused their demise ultimately. They also failed in that they thought because they were the people of God that they couldn't be touched. Because they were Israel, they could not experience God's wrath and judgment. For after all, the Lord has called us as His particular people, as His special ones called to Himself. But it wasn't just a failure of the leaders. It wasn't just the downfall of the city. It was also the downfall of the people. For it was the failure of the people of that very thing, wasn't it? It was the failure of the people to trust those leaders more than they trusted the Lord. To trust the leaders and their laws more than they trusted the law of the Lord. The policies of the king more than the policies of the Lord. And I wonder to ourselves and to myself, and I wonder out loud now, where is our hope today? Where do we place our trust? Just got to get this guy out of office, then everything's going to be all right. We got to get this guy in, and everything's going to be all right. He's going to make the kind of laws that are going to make my life better. He's going to pass certain things that are going to make the Christian walk better, more efficient, easier. Isn't this how we go about life? Now hear me say again, the Lord establishes princes, He establishes kings, He establishes governments, and the Lord is sovereign over that. But oftentimes we too have misplaced hopes. And our worship falls at the foot of Washington, on the steps of the Capitol, on the steps in Austin. Isn't this where we often place our hopes? And isn't it true as well that we often think, well, we're Christians, we're on this side of the cross, we can't be touched either. God's wrath isn't for me. I, I, I don't have to fear that. I don't have to fear my actions. For I know grace will kick in and I'll be okay. This is the same complacency that, that, that Israel found herself in. And yes, we are on this side of the cross. And yes, grace is real. And yes, grace is true. However, the Lord still does say, because of that grace, how then shall we live? And we live in accordance with His law and His will because of what He has done for us. Because of His grace. But we can't put our hopes and our trust in the fact that we're God's people and everything's going to be okay. And think that we can't be touched and we can now go and live however we would like. That's not scriptural. That's not biblical. For we see in the people of Israel saw the very real and devastating wrath of the Lord. This was their downfall. This was their failure. And I wonder if we teeter on the same failure. I wonder if I teeter. I wonder if I fall into the same failure. I think we do the same thing. We put our trust in what party will make our lives good. We put our trust in kings and governors. We put our trust and hope in complacency. How could they think that way? We wonder. 
How could that happen to Israel, we wonder? But I wonder, how could it happen to us? Perhaps we're sitting here this morning and it's not that we put our hope in kings or prophets or priests, but like the Israelites, again, that we put our hopes in the fact that we do live on this side of the cross. But can I warn us and exhort us this morning to play with complacency and casual obedience is a recipe for wrath. To play with complacency and casual obedience is a recipe for the wrath of the Lord in the same sense that it came down on Jerusalem. For this is what happened to the people of God. This is what they experienced at the hand of the Edomites. Now for us, it may not mean an army of the country of Edom invading the United States of America. But it may be in the fact that evil will be exposed in your life. Those things where you say it doesn't really matter, that's not important, I can do that because I live under grace, will be exposed in the same way that this marauding army exposed the sins and the failures and the fatigue of Israel. We read books and stories and poems like Lamentations, and we think it's for another time, another place. And yet the reality of the story of Lamentations is that this is the reality of God's people, the reality of God's wrath, of His righteousness, of His justice, and of His mercy. But then if you're still in Lamentations 4, can I have you turn your eyes now to verse 22? The punishment of your iniquity, O daughter of Zion, is accomplished. He will keep you in exile no longer. But your iniquity, O daughter of Edom, he will punish and he will uncover your sins. The hope that we find in Lamentations is found in verse 22. Your exile will not last forever. The Lord, despite our failures, despite our fatigue, the Lord remains patient with His people. The Lord will and does return. Our failures are not big enough for the Lord to be frightened or caught off guard. But He has indeed poured out His wrath, hasn't He? Our failures nailed the Lord Jesus to the cross. And He took our fatigue and He buried it in the grave. Our hope then is in the patience of the Lord and the patience that He has in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. This then is our only hope, isn't it? In the middle of our failure. The hope that we see in this challenging book of Lamentations is that no matter where our failure, our fatigue places us, the Lord is still in the middle with us. He is there by our side. And what I've noticed about Lamentations is is, is this. And if you hear anything I say about Lamentations, perhaps hear this. The Lord doesn't speak outside of our sorrow. He doesn't speak outside of our fatigue. He doesn't speak outside of our failures. But in this very situation where the city has literally crumbled and there's fires and, the, and children are being eaten, the Lord enters into that level of brokenness, into that level of hurt and pain and despair, and He speaks into the situation, not after the fact, But in the middle of the fact, in the middle of our brokenness, 
What is he saying? While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Not after or before, but in the middle of all of our stuff. He says, your exile will not last forever. I am near, I am your God, and I will be with you. It's this kind of patience that gives us hope. And he says in a still, small voice, I am with you. I am your God. Your exile will not last forever. The exile is over because the Lord Jesus has conquered our fatigue, hasn't He? He has conquered the failure and has defeated sin and death. And His steadfast, patient love watches over us afresh each and every morning. It's in that hope and in that patience that the chuckling of despair fades. It fades into the midst of the moor. And friends, because of this patience and because of this love, your exile is no more. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, we give you thanks and praise for who you are, that you are patient with us in your grace and in your mercy, that you love us in ways and in means that we cannot imagine. And so, Lord, as we begin to prepare our hearts to come to your table this morning, wash over us with the same kind of patience, the same kind of grace, the same kind of mercy. Lord, we give you thanks and praise for who you are and what you've done. We pray this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen.